you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for this uh, story in the Bible, not a make-believe story, a story that happened a long time ago, the story of the courage of a young teenage boy. Lord, I pray that uh, you would open up our hearts and minds to uh, what you would have for us today as we look into your word. Lord, thank you that we can, um, as a church body, come together and Pray for one another. And so, Lord, uh, this morning we pray for some needs uh, in our church family. Um, Lord, they are many. Uh, Lord, today we pray for Augie and Joan Piccoli. Uh, thank you for them and for their many years um, worshiping here with us. And we just pray that as uh, Augie enters into this uh, challenging time in his life, that you will um, bless him, encourage him, and Joan as well. Lord, we pray for Paul Bigelow this morning and his uh, struggle with Parkinson's disease. And Lord, we know that his heart would be to be here, and yet he's not able to. So bless him today. Bless Lynn as she cares for him. Uh, thank you that she's able to join us today, and we pray that she would be encouraged. Lord, we pray for those in our church family that um, are in nursing homes, assisted living. Lord, we think of um, Ruby Cool today, and we pray your blessing upon her. Uh, Lord, grieving the loss of Howard, and um, just uh, pray your uh, blessing upon her today and, and many others that are connected with our church family. Lord, we pray for Catherine Walter's dad, George Black, as he recovers from hip replacement surgery. And Lord, we just pray your uh, continued recovery and blessing on him. Lord, for Tim and G. Kavanaugh, as they uh, leave on Tuesday to go to the Philippines, Lord, uh, bless them. May they know that uh, they are going there in the strength and, uh, and assurance and promises of God. And Lord, thank you that we can partner with them as uh, they are um, ministering there in the Philippines. Lord, we also pray for Don as he leaves today for his assignment Lord, uh, protect him, give him safety. We pray for Cheryl and the family as well, uh, that you would uh, just bless them, and may we be an encouragement to them during this time of uh, separation. So thank you for the opportunity to encourage one another in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe. <clears throat> well, I had, a, I had a prediction. We kind of set up this uh, setup morning. And I'm glad to say my prediction was wrong because my prediction was no one's going to sit in the front row, you know. And, and so there's four people that proved me wrong, and uh, I'm glad. You know, I, I kind of don't like the front row either. You, you just feel a little vulnerable because there's no little barrier there. But thank you. Thank you for sitting in the front row. All right, we're going to look at uh, one of the most familiar... Um, stories in all the Bible, and uh, I, I hope that you'll be encouraged by it. Most of us know it by heart. Uh, we started to study the life of David a couple weeks ago, and throughout the summer, we're going to look at David's life. 
fascinating life. Uh, we mentioned when the scripture gives a, a description of someone's life, um, they include the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that is certainly true in, in David's life. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, in David's life. But just a reminder how we introduced David um, two weeks ago. And I kind of looked at it. Uh, how do we get to know somebody if we met them for the first time? What questions would we ask? And so obviously we're looking at David. His name means beloved. And uh, when we thought about that, we re it reminded us that all of us are beloved and loved of God. And we need to, to always uh, remind ourselves of that. Uh, we would ask a person, where are you from? Well, David was from Bethlehem, this small little insignificant village that maybe we would have known nothing about except for David and, of course, uh, Jesus. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're little among all towns of Judah, out of you is going to come what? The Messiah. And so Bethlehem plays this significant part in Scripture. It became known as the town of David. Uh, that's how the angels announced the, the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. In the town of David, a Savior's been born today. And so David was from Bethlehem. We looked at his family and discovered that David grew up in a large family, that uh, his parents uh, had at least 10 children, and David was the youngest of eight sons. And uh, believe me, uh, our family dynamics and our birth order and all that uh, has a great impact on, on our lives of how we grew up. And so here's David, uh, the youngest of eight boys uh, and 10 children at least. And David was the shepherd who became the king of Israel. And we briefly looked at the fact that uh, after Saul forfeited his privilege to be the king of Israel... God came to Samuel and said, uh, go to Bethlehem, the next king is there, I'll show him to you. And you remember the story that she came to Jesse's house and uh, seven sons of Jesse passed before David or before Samuel and God said, that's not him, that's not him. And finally, uh, Samuel says to Jesse, you have any other sons? Yeah, well, the youngest, he's out in the fields, go get him. And here comes David, a teenager, probably... 14, 15 years old, and he comes before Samuel, and God says, that's the next king of Israel, and he's anointed king. And we discovered that uh, David had to wait a long time to become king. It was about 14 years between him being anointed as king until he became uh, the actual the king in waiting. Kind of like Prince Charles. I kind of feel sorry for Prince Charles. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth, 96 years old, just celebrated 70 years on the throne, and there's Charles wondering. Years. I spent a lot of time as a shepherd out in the fields. David was a musician. We see that in 1 Samuel. He played the harp, and he became uh, Saul's uh, personal attendant. And he, when Saul had these mood swings, and Saul would go into deep, uh, dark moods, he began to call for David, and David would come and play the harp, and it would seem to uh, 
help encourage uh, King Saul. So he was an outdoorsman, a musician, a poet, an author. He wrote half of the Psalms, about 75 of the 150. David was a mighty warrior. We looked at uh, a passage last week where, um, and we'll see it again, I think, today, where uh, the women of Israel are singing this song, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And uh, that little song there began to fuel uh, Saul's jealousy, which became rage against David. We'll see that. Uh, further down, further down the road here. So here's uh, that brings us to First Samuel uh, 17. This very familiar story of David and Goliath, and um, here with it. So I don't know. Do we have that YouTube video to show? Okay. Here's the the context. Read the first three words. Why do I even ever doubt that? I should never doubt that, but I I'm just like to make sure. I should make sure ahead of time, right? Um, let me read the first three verses. Then we're gonna. T- trip to um, the Valley of Elah. It's about five minutes, 45 seconds long, and where this battle took place. So let me read the first three verses here just to set some context. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Soka and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. So um, let's take a little quick trip to Israel. And this is Andy Cook with Christian TV Network, and we'll see the Valley of Elah.
All right, what do we want to watch here next? The, the cave, Gideon's... Oh, team time. You don't need me. No. Uh, thank you, Larissa, for doing that. Well, that's the context. I thought it would be helpful to get a little visual picture of where this battle took place. So let's look at the champion. We're going to begin to run through this very, very quickly here. Uh, the champion, Goliath, verses 4 through 7 uh, from the text. The champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp his height was six cubits in a span, uh, nine foot six inches. This is one giant of a man. And we know from the history of the Bible that you know, this is what scared the Israelites originally when they went to spy out the land. And they said, hey, there's, there's giants there. There's the descendants of Anak, and, and they were afraid. So Goliath is one of those descendants. And He's called the champion of the Philistines. A little later on in the text, they call him their hero. I guess if you're nine foot six, you can easily be a hero, especially in, in battle time. Uh, it says he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. Um, my 
footnotes about 125 pounds of armor. That's, uh, that's pretty uh, weighty. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. Uh, some say that's about 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Now, I think in um, the insert in your bulletin, if you have one, you have a replica picture of Goliath's spear. And uh, this, is, uh, this is from our friends Sheldon and Vicki Rhodes. Um, they were uh, here to close our Awana year uh, this past uh, spring. Uh, we've known them for about 40 years. Uh, they're in, a, in kids' ministry. And, uh, but there's a long story to this, but they made an exact replica of Goliath's spear. And you can read a little bit about the dimensions, but that picture gives you pretty good uh, view of how big Goliath's spear was. Now, I, I did investigate. They, uh, they travel all around to churches uh, in Michigan and the Midwest, this Goliath spear, and I investigated having them come so we could actually see that 12-foot spear. Um, I'll just be real honest with you. Uh, he says, well, it takes a... a two of us to come from our ministry and travel expenses in several cars, and it began to add up. I thought it was a little pricey, so we'll just look at the picture, okay? <laughs> we'll have a lot of money that way. But um, yeah, that's, that's Goliath's, uh, Goliath's spear. And uh, so here's the challenge then. And uh, verses 8 through 11, Goliath stood up and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come up and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 16 says, For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening. Don't miss that. This challenge of Goliath took place for, what would that be, seven, seven weeks, morning and evening. Now what we discover is that the number 40 is a significant number in the Bible. It represents testing. You know, think, think with me, um, Noah and the flood rained, what, 40 days and 40 nights. And here we have uh, the, the uh, Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for how many years? 40 years. And here's Goliath who gives a challenge for 40 days. And Jesus was in the wilderness to begin his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. So it's a number of testing. And so Goliath is giving this challenge, and every morning, every evening, for 40 days straight, and we read the, the reaction of Saul and the army, verse 11, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Uh, if we go over to verse 24, when the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. That would probably be me, if you're honest. Nine foot six, all that armor, and they are scared as can be. 
And this is going on and on for six weeks, seven weeks, and then finally in God's providential timing, um, a young boy makes a visit. His name's David. And uh, David, again, 15, 16 years old. Uh, this is a long chapter, so I'll just try to summarize the story. Jesse, uh, his dad had three sons in the Israelite army. And he's a little curious about how they're doing, how the battle's going, and so he sends some food with David uh, to go visit his brothers, how they're doing on the battle. And so here's this young shepherd boy that, that shows up, and he shows up uh, just in time to hear Goliath giving his challenge. Um, let me pick up a little bit of the text here. It says, David left his things that he brought with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, here's God's timing, which is perfect. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And so David, uh, the Israelite armies, heard this 80 times, David hears it for the first time, and uh, David um, begins to ask some questions. What in the world is going on here? And uh, verse, uh, verse 20, 26, um, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had told him. This is what will be done for the man who will kill him. Um, and so uh, Saul, or, uh, Saul had promised uh, his daughters in marriage to the person that would kill Goliath. Saul had promised no taxation for a while, so there was a financial incentive. And yet no, nobody... Uh, was taking up uh, that, that, uh, that challenge. It's interesting in verse 28, and again, we don't have the time to look at this in, in too much detail here, but when David comes and brings the food for his brothers, uh, his oldest brother, Eliab, who was the oldest of the eight boys, um, has a little interaction with David. And there's a little sibling rivalry going on, and we read about it when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men and asking about Goliath. He burned with anger at him and asked him, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? <laughs> he's, he's not kind of putting down David. I think Eliab is still stinging from the fact that he's the oldest boy and he didn't become king, anointed to be king. It was the baby in the family, his youngest brother. And so there's, there's some conflict here between David and Eliab. I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And so Eliab begins to give David a hard time. So, um, but David's curious. In fact, he's willing to go fly. Next, the attention of some men, they bring him before Saul, and they have this interaction. Um, Saul's like, hey, you're only a boy. You, you, can't, you can't do this. And David gives some of his background and this interaction with, with Saul. Uh, 
He says to him in verse 34, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. He's given, he's given King Saul a little bit of his resume. Even though he's only 15 or 16 years old, he says, now I, I, uh, I've got some courage. I took down uh, a lion and a bear. And so Saul finally relents and tries to give armor to David, and David says, no, this, this, this is too much. This doesn't fit me. I don't need this army, or armor, rather. And uh, we, know, we know the story that uh, he sends uh, David to meet Goliath, and David walks down into that valley of Elah, and he's got his sling, and he picks up um, five of those stones uh, from the brook there. And uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and read this, the rest of the story because it's really an amazing story. Talk about an underdog. A 15-year-old boy against a 9-foot, 6-inch uh, giant with all sorts of armor and spears. And uh, so let's pick it up in verse uh, uh, 40. Uh, David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them into the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, so he has a helper in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And then as we read in our scripture reading, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down, cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. Here's the key phrase. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. What was David fighting for? It wasn't to be known as this great warrior. David was concerned about God and God's name and God's reputation. And so David comes in, in God's name. And it says, all those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Here's what we need to remember with our battles that we're all facing. We'll talk about that in a little bit. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack, this is amazing, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. <laughs> David starts running toward him. I, I think there was a little bit of an element of surprise here that took place. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the head. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath, and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. 
When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the gate of entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp, and David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. This is why this story is grandson number two's favorite. He loves, he loves this part. He took his head and took it to Jerusalem? Yep. That was one big head too, wasn't it? Yeah. Takes it to Jerusalem and it says he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent and then Saul and David have some interaction here and that's, uh, that's, that's the story. But uh, this morning, um, let's spend the last uh, 15 minutes here or so thinking about uh, some life lessons. So uh, what can we learn from this story? It's, it's not just a story for history, but it's a story that God wants uh, us to learn from and to benefit from and to apply to our lives. So um, David the Giant Killer... Um, can't remember the name of the, the filmmakers uh, produced a movie recently called Facing the Giants. So what we need to realize, and if we had time, I could hear from every one of you, uh, what I discover is that every, everybody uh, eventually or uh, in the past or in the present is facing stuff in their life. We could describe them as challenges. We could use the word giants. And uh, we're all going to face uh, strong obstacles and challenges in our lives. Giants, like the, uh, here's some categories of what, what might fall in here. Relationships. Relationships can get challenging and difficult. I don't need to tell you that. Uh, your giant might be employment. Your giant might be finances. Stock market is down 15%. And uh, uh, people, some people today, uh, a lot of people are, are struggling financially. Your giant might be some sort of addiction, or your giant might be some fear. Your giant might be loneliness. Your giant might be a health challenge. You, or maybe for a family member. Sometimes those things come in, in waves, and we're kind of experiencing that in our extended family right now. Um, I've mentioned my uh, stepmom, mom's um, in um, uh, assisted living in Grand Rapids, very wonderful place uh, called Rest Haven, and uh, mom's, I think, 83, uh, but her health's been declining, and she misses my dad, who died a couple years ago, and um, so as we watched her health decline, she got to the point where she couldn't get up out of a chair on her own and got to the point where her hands weren't working and she couldn't button anything and then her speech began to be uh, affected and she's telling me, like, I can't speak very long, I just get out of breath. And so I've been to lots of doctors and about three weeks ago um, after a doctor's appointment, they said it's one of two things. It is a degenerative muscle disease. It's either ALS or I forget the 
other um, abbreviation, very similar to ALS. So she's going to go to a doctor on Friday and find out a definitive diagnosis from her doctor. Got a text yesterday afternoon from my older brother. Um, they were uh, planning on going to Cleveland this weekend to visit my younger brother, um, fly out to California, to San Diego on Wednesday to visit their daughter and son-in-law. And uh, my brother texts me, he says, by the way, I'm sitting in the ER here over in Southern Ohio, and okay, what's going on? He says, well... I woke up about five, I'm going down to get my coffee, and my entire left arm was numb. And I tried to pick something up, dropped to the floor, and I was having a hard time like it just wasn't working, and it wasn't going away. And, of course, his wife says, uh, he's like, oh, it's just temporary. Like, no, thank, thank you, wives. No, you're going to the hospital. <laughs> you're going to the ER. And so he says, I'm sitting here in the ER and kind of texted back and forth. And uh, they, they kept him last night and ran a bunch of tests. And uh, uh, TIA, some of you with medical knowledge know, it's like a little mini stroke. And he's going to have to be on some medication and things. And hopefully he's going to be released today. And I don't know if they're going to get to go to California or not. I'm sure he'll have that discussion with his doctor. Uh, and I've mentioned our... Um, Grandson number three, Liam, four years old. I was born with ASD, this little, uh, a hole in the upper, between the upper chamber of his heart. And they discovered it when he was a year and a half. And the doctor said, well, we're going to watch this because sometimes in young children, uh, they'll grow and that hole will close on its own. And uh, then we're all set. But we like to do something before five. And so they've been, they've been checking him every year. And uh, his particular hole, which is uh, kind of a medium-sized hole, has not closed at all. And um, they originally thought that there was a very good chance, uh, about a 90% chance, that they could take care of this with a catheter going up through the groin and, and plugging that hole. When they met with the doctor that was going to do that procedure about a week or 10 days ago, the doctor, in looking at everything, was not nearly as confident that it could be done with a catheter. Other option, the good news is it can be fixed. It's just a matter, can we do this a relatively non-invasive way where you're in the hospital for one night and home or open heart surgery? And of course, Grandpa was pulling for the first. <laughs> and... Uh, I've kind of had a, a little personal struggle with this, and now, now I, f I feel like, like praying like Jesus in the garden, like, here, this is what I want. I want that to be fixed with a catheter. Nevertheless, not my will, but God, this is yours. So um, all of you could talk about some giants in your life. That's just a few of one little area of our life in, in our extended family. So what can we learn uh, from facing uh, life's challenges? And so I want to give you four things here, and uh, then we'll, we'll conclude. Here's number one. God experiences to future challenges. I hope you've realized that. God uses our past experiences. Why? To prepare us for something big in the future. So here's David 
And uh, David's this shepherd boy, and you might think, well, why would, why would God allow a lion and a bear to kind of have an encounter with, with David? And, and here's David, and, and when, you read, when you read the story as he retells it to Saul, he's protecting the sheep, isn't he? I mean, it says, a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. <laughs> you talk about courage. Uh, if I see a lion taking a sheep off, I'm saying, goodbye. <laughs> Not David. Da- David goes after it, and he kills a lion and a bear with his bare hands. That young man has some courage. What's God doing? He's preparing David for something greater. <laughs> you think a, a lion and a bear is a challenge. I got, I got a giant for you to face. And, and the same is, is true in, in our lives that, um, you know, whatever we're experiencing, and we sometimes, you know, it's not wrong to ask the question why. We just don't always know the answer to why. But part of the why is that God wants to use everything in our life to prepare us for greater challenges. The whole book of 1 Peter is written to suffering Christians. The theme is pain with a purpose. Uh, James 1 uh, talks about trials. Uh, um, rejoice, count it all joy when trials come. Why would we do that, James? Because I want to tell you what trials do. They create character in your life. They create perseverance and so uh, you're going to grow and be stronger uh, through this trial and so God uses our past experiences to prepare us uh, even the painful ones uh, for future challenges Uh, number two is we must face life challenges choosing faith not fear we must face life's challenges choosing Faith, not fear. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and I can't seem to find it, so I'll just quote it. It says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, timidity, but of love, power, and a sound mind. I'll be the first to admit that when challenges come and uh, sometimes you get f- uh, phone calls and just this whole encounter with our grandson Liam, I can easily be gripped first response is fear. Oh no, what's going to happen? What could happen? And uh, I have to process things and, and uh, you know, it's easy for me to preach and tell everyone, just trust God <laughs> until you're facing with something. And then you realize that's not easy to do. And yet it's, it's a choice. We either, we either choose fear or we choose faith. And again, we mentioned, what's, what's David fighting for here? He, he says, I, I don't come to you in um, the name of the armies of Saul. I don't come to you in the name of the armies of Israel. Uh, I'm protecting the armies of the living God. And David chose um, faith. Ultimately, this is a spiritual battle, isn't it? And that's what it was for, for David. And uh, notice David's uh, faith and, and confidence in, in the prelude of before he kills Goliath. 
He's telling Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. There's some, there's some confidence for you. David tells the king, no, God's, God's going to rescue me. The same one who, who helped me kill that lion and bear is going to help me kill Goliath. He says the same thing in, um, later on in his conversation with Saul. David said to the Philistine, verse 46, This day the Lord will what? Deliver you into my hands. <laughs> he's confident. He, he's, he's choosing faith. And he says, And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He wants to protect and uplift the name of God. You know, it's been very easy for David to kind of listen to his older brother. He's only basically saying, Hey, you little punk. What are you doing here? Why don't you go back and watch those, uh, those sheep in the field? Get out of here. I'm glad David didn't listen to his brother. And really it comes down to this, and when we face life challenges, and lots of people are well-intentioned and give advice, but here's the bottom line. Are we going to listen to people or listen to God? And uh, you can get a lot of bad advice from sometimes from friends and family. And then we have a choice to make, just like David did. Am I going to turn around and tuck my tail between my legs and go home and tell Dad, well, I accomplished the mission, I brought the food, or am I going to listen to God? And I'm glad uh, David chose uh, faith, uh, taking God at his word and acting on it. There's always doubters, there's always distractors. And, and because David listened to God in uh, this uh, great story that we're all familiar with, Hebrews chapter 11, David gets a passing mention in the hall of faith. All these great men of faith and individuals of faith, and the author of Hebrews writes, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and David. Uh, it doesn't tell the story, but David's name gets mentioned in Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. All right, two more lessons here, and we're, we're um, done. I'm, I'm wondering if the air, I turned the air on early this morning. It goes for four hours, and then it shuts back down. And uh, Kathy, Sorry, let's just see if that shut off, and I, I can do this easily. Okay, yep, we need to bring this back down because it's starting to climb here. Anybody else feeling warm, or is it just me? What? Let's take a vote. We want it. 70, 72, 68, 65. We'll never agree on that, will we? All right. That's going to that's gonna cool us back, uh, back down. All right. All right. Lesson number three is, is this. Oh, this is great. Both faith and fear are courageous. Courageous. Contagious. Both faith and fear are contagious. And we, we see that in the story, um, that our, our example, when we either choose faith or fear, is going to have a ripple effect in the life of people. Challenge for, for 80 times, 40 days in a row, and in uh, verse 11, it says, on hearing the Philistine words, Saul, their leader, <laughs> you're, you're the king, you're the leader, Saul, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. 
because the leader was afraid, the rest of the army was afraid. Now let's read about the end of the story. And it says, David uh, killed Goliath, 51. He cuts off his head with a sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Verse 52, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and Ekron, and they wiped them out. <laughs> These same soldiers who were afraid, who didn't meet the 40 days and 80 challenges, now all of a sudden they're like, hey, we've got this. And, and they turn and they face the Philistines and they win a great victory. Why? Because of David's courage. And so both fear and faith um, are courageous. One more and then, and then we're, um, we're done here. And uh, let's uh, look at this last one here. It says, memorials and mementos are important visual reminders of God's faithfulness in our lives. And we think, well, where do we get that from? And this is interesting. I've read this story uh, dozens and dozens of times, but sometimes when you read Scripture, uh, things, certain things that you've never seen before tend to jump out at you. Look at verse 54. It says, David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem. Look at the last part. He put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. I found that interesting, that, that, that big spear and all of Goliath's armor and all that he had. What's David do? He takes that 12-foot spear, hope he had a big tent, and, and, he, and he, takes it, he takes it as a, a memorial and a memento, a reminder of what God did, of God's faithfulness in his life. And I imagine anybody that visited David for years and years, he might have said, well, let me show you the back compartment of the tent. <laughs> let me show you this. Let me, let me tell you the story behind this. And it was a story of God's faithfulness. I don't know if you have any um, mementos or memorials of God's faithfulness in your life. I think, I think it's healthy and good to do that, whether it's... Uh, Maybe it's a journal. Maybe it's a plaque on the wall. Uh, maybe it's something, something tangible. Um, I just brought a few things this morning, and we'll close with this, that, that I have in my life that are, I, I guess you would call them um, reminders or mementos of God's faithfulness. Um, I've got a small Bible collection, uh, probably about 20 of them, that are older, older Bibles. And so I brought just three of them this morning, and um, at some point in time, I will um, pass these Bibles on to um, some family members if anybody wants them. But um, here's Bible number one. I don't, I don't use it very often because it's, it's basically falling apart. But um, this is a Bible that I got in uh, 1973 from my older brother, the one I just talked about in the hospital, and his wife when I graduated from high school. So this Bible is 49 years old, and they just wrote a little note of a congratulations uh, from graduating from high school. Your brother and sister, Jim and Teresa, June 5th, 1973. So uh, that's one of my mementos that I kind of keep around. 
And, and then I've got the, this one. Um, this was my mom's Bible. Uh, she died at the age of 50 of cancer. And I got a couple of her Bibles. And uh, this is from August. Uh, she writes August 10th, 1961. So this Bible's 61 years old. And I kind of like it because uh, it's got some of her notes in it that she would hear sermons. Um, that's another one of my little Bible mementos. Here's probably my, my favorite one, and um, this is um, a Bible that my um, dad's dad gave to him when my dad got on a train. This will date, date the, the time frame. Uh, he got on a train in Buffalo, New York, and took about a 15-hour train ride to Dayton, Tennessee, and uh, was going to a small Christian college called Bryan College. And uh, my uh, grandfather uh, gave him this Bible before he left for that uh, for college. He he wrote just a very brief note, uh, kind of formal here. Now that I'm reading this, to Roy J. Clark. <laughs> My grandfather was a banker, and he wasn't. Yeah, he didn't express a lot of uh, emotion. And uh, the Lord has blessed me and you, my son. John fifteen sixteen. Uh, this was uh, from nineteen forty seven. So this this Bible is seventy five years old. And uh, when I went off to seminary, my dad um, wrote a little note and uh, uh, sent it off to me. Basically, my dad. Gave Bible when I went off to college, and now I'm giving it to you. So uh, this is uh, this is 75 years old, and uh, that's a great little reminder and memento. Hey, I thought of just a couple other things, and uh, I I got this from our, our entryway, and uh, but I think it applies here. And uh, Jane and when they're with us, and uh, uh, we're going. Why is that paper on fire? What's, a, what's, he, what's he burning? And uh, so this is a picture from um, when we burned our, our mortgage in the building that you're setting in, that we're setting in uh, today. Um, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness. And uh, we had some funds, but we needed to um, borrow some funds to build this part that we're sitting in. And I don't remember the exact amount. A million dollars? And uh, this is a reminder of God's, God's faithfulness uh, through you that uh, we were able to pay that mortgage off, if I remember, um, a lot um, sooner than we uh, intended. Last one I just took from, uh, from my office, and this is on the wall of my office, and this is something actually we did here years and years ago, uh, but it's called Covenant Marriage. And uh, we had a little marriage seminar and encouraged uh, couples to make a commitment in, uh, to marriage and, and God's design and plan for marriage. And uh, um, there's a little a paragraph there and a place to sign it. Um, my name, Diane's name, our wedding date, August 20th. Oh, that's when it was. <laughs> August 20th, um, 1977. And uh, 
And then the covenant date, uh, just kind of a reaffirmation. And, uh, and so I, I see that, and then that's a um, visual reminder of God's faithfulness. Well, it's not as exciting as a big spear and all that kind of stuff, but uh, things like this can help us um, and remind us of God's faithfulness in our lives. Well, we went over time today, so let's, uh, let's pray, and, and then we'll sing our, our closing uh, hymn. Lord, thank you for this story, um, this story of David and Goliath. Lord, sometimes it becomes so familiar with it that we um, lose the impact and the truth. And uh, so, uh, we, uh, Lord, really everybody here that um, is facing some sort of, of challenge uh, in their life, um, Lord, I, I pray that we would... Uh, uh, take these uh, principles that we learned today and that we will choose uh, to try to and not uh, but to and thank you for the and Lord we uh, just pray that as we um, uh, look back in our lives that we can look back uh, and be reminded of your faithfulness which gives us great confidence for today and for the challenges ahead. So um, bless each one, encourage each one, help us to encourage one another, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The faith is the victory. I